welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. It says this meeting is being live streamed, so we are live. This is the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. This is number 29. Uh, Nothing special really with number 29, but we keep chugging along and doing one of those each week. The only rule for this show is that there are no rules. Uh, We're going to explore whatever investing or financial topics we want, and they are live on YouTube every Every week, every Thursday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 12, excuse me, 3 o'clock Eastern time. So if you want to join, ask us questions. We hope we'll get a few in the chat today to explore some new topics. And we got earnings this week, which will be fun to discuss. I'm sure we're going to talk some of the big ones, although this is kind of the teaser week with Netflix and Tesla and a few others. And next two, three weeks will be the big one. But first, let's talk about Seven Investing. Our friends, our exclusive sponsor, presenting sponsor, through the end of 2022, Seven Investing offers seven stock research reports each month uh, from each of their advisor team. And what we love about Seven Investing is the diverse set of backgrounds for all their analyst teams. You have uh, Dana, who runs the healthcare stuff. She's an expert in that. You have Anirban, who is an expert in cloud, software, all that good stuff. You have Matt, who really focuses on payments, um, financials, insurance companies, a few other areas. And I'm sure I'm missing uh, some of the other spots as well, uh, but we don't need to hit all the advisors. So if you want to use our code MONEY, M-O-N-E-Y, uh, you get $100 off your annual subscription for life. It is a really great service. Uh, anything else, Ryan, before we get into the topics on 7investing? I don't think so. All right. No, yeah, it's, make sure to... it's, it's well worth it. They do the videos. They do videos as well. Well, I think we'll maybe talk about that for the middle ad as well. Uh, thanks for the little uh, tease there. But yeah, use code MONEY, get $100 off your annual subscription for life. Support our show, support them. Uh, they have a great service over there. All right, Ryan, any topics this week that you've seen? Philip Morris raised its offer for Swedish match. See this? Yeah, or not confirmed yet, right? Rumored. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm reading the first paragraph here of this Wall Street Journal article. It says Philip yeah, Morris said the offer is going to be Thursday. Oh, 116 Swedish krona. Mm. What was it? 10. I think it was like a 16 billion dollar valuation. Um, but they're going to apparently up it. God. But the original was one oh, what was it, one oh six to one sixteen. I mean, that's not that big of a difference because the Kronos devalued yeah. that much, especially if you're a US, U.S. investor. It's not not really that different. Yeah, it's just interesting so time over there, though. Tobacco land. I, over the last two years, I think I've grown an appreciation for how difficult it is to find a business that's like truly a compounder in any environment, and now it just irks me that that's what Swedish match was and oh now it's getting taken away 
They took it from us. Yeah, smart move over there by Philip Morris International. They seem to have a good head on their shoulders. Um, Netflix earnings. Netflix earnings. You want to hit that? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't, any, I don't know if I. That's pretty boring quarter. Yeah, I mean, it's slightly concerning that the show about like a ruthless serial killer was more popular than the House of Dragons, but. Well, isn't House of Dragons just a bunch of ruthless serial killers? All right, if you if you'd watch the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary, you might <laughs> might you might be eating your words. I mean, they're yeah, they're both. You know, they're no, very. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't different. call House of Dragon like a light show. Do you it's think a it's, bunch of? Uh, yeah, sure, but it's not okay. Whatever, it's not real. It's not based on a true story. The. Uh, you think it's bad to like have shows like that? What just in general? Yeah. Nah, it's fine. If anything, it scares people too much because the what, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, the stats are probably more <laughs> likely to. It's like the flying on the plane stuff. Versus you should be way more scared about driving your car to work every day than you should be about a serial killer. Um, no, but, I mean, maybe it inspires copycats. Oh, yeah, potentially, yeah. But I think we would see that in the data. But I do think it's impressive that that show, which there was never that much demand for that show like before it came out, did better in its first week than House of the Dragons. And House of Dragons has been this like heavily anticipated thing. I think it's a testament to Netflix's distribution where they can really come up with something that's maybe it doesn't have to be like super valuable IP that already exists for them to do well. They can make anything work just because of their sheer scale. Yeah, they definitely have that advantage right now. I think that's the clear, the big bull case. The the quarter though honestly was fine. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I don't know what people were expecting if the stock was up that much, but maybe the expectations were extremely low. What do you what do you think about the pricing on the ad supported tier? Twenty to forty percent less than the premium. I'm not exactly sure how many people are going to subscribe. Here's okay. Here's kind of my thought like everyone knows that netflix exists right so what and they said they're not doing it for existing subscribers to switch over because the price difference isn't that much it's really for people that have been gone for a while and are are coming back or prospective subscribers if you weren't going to subscribe for the single tier at what is it 10 bucks should i confirm that (laughs) Is it ten bucks yeah. for the single? In the in the U.S., the single. I think it's not. Okay, in the U.S., yeah, it changes in every other country. Are you gonna subscribe with ads for seven or what is it, six or seven? I think it's seven. I just don't know what the uptake is is gonna be on that. So if they really want to drive the advertising business to a sizable amount where it actually generates tons of value, I think they. I mean, maybe this is just dipping their toe in, but I think. I don't know how this is going to work because I feel like you need to take a little bit of a bigger plunge with advertising if you're going to make it work. 
it feels like the pricing strategy here was designed around not wanting people to trade down like making it a making it a price where if i'm a subscriber for ten dollars a month i don't feel compelled to trade down because it's only seven bucks and you get ads but i'd be surprised if it's that successful attracting new users right because so many people already know netflix i would well i guess i would be surprised in the united states and maybe uh some of the wealthier areas if it attracted new users i don't like is it going to be a churn reduction redu- reducer i don't know i just it, i find it hard i just don't know what's going to happen like uh, maybe I, I, I maybe i just shouldn't own netflix but it seems like there's a lot of things that need to go right i also would be worried about what the demand is overall to scale this up to a i don't know 10 billion dollar revenue business because if i'm an advertiser why would i go to netflix over youtube for video ads now you want to the well i guess content that youtube doesn't have well, like it's not Nef- about the Nef- content. It's about the per- the person watching, right? And wouldn't YouTube have better? Oh, you're talking. Oh, oh, from the advertiser's perspective. The advertiser's perspective. Yeah, oh, yeah. How they meant from a uh, viewers. User, um, user. Okay, yeah. Advertiser perspective, spending an ad. I mean, potentially Netflix. The Netflix viewing experience is more passive. Passive, right? I would say active. Mm. No, not necessarily active, more immersive. Like if I'm watching something on Netflix, it, it, like I feel like I'm generally really watching it. I've never had an ad on YouTube like work, you know? A YouTube what? I've never had an ad where like you're pretty much just dying to skip through them. Uh, well, maybe you don't want, I watch on the TV and it kind of just flows through 15 seconds. Um and yeah, what's I, don't know. I, I don't saw know a stat that 40% of YouTube is on TVs now, which I was shocked to hear that. That's um, surprising. But yeah, Netflix definitely, yeah, the less skippable. Uh, people understand that there's ads on television. I just at, at a market cap of what is it today? Let me, let me pull it up. That's like 100 billion. I think it's slightly more now because of the jump. I think buck 20. Yeah, I don't what know. Is it, yeah, 120 billion enterprise value 130 billion. What are you underwriting I think on the advertising business from zero? Like how big does it have to be and how quickly for this to be meaningful? I just I don't like, think it's going to be that big of a deal. But I could be totally wrong and it, I don't think it has to be that meaningful for you to generate good returns from here. I think the core subscription business potentially, I think you're paying essentially for that right now. Yeah. We'll see see how the cash flow looks once that starts ramping up. They made good progress in that regard. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You could be right. uh, The margins margins come through. The thing I don't understand is their, their gaming strategy. Like, honestly, what the hell is going on? It's so incoherent. <laughs> churn, churn reducer, right? <laughs> no. Dude, it's just like, and now they're talking about 
like exploring a cloud gaming offering. Yeah, this isn't going gonna... to work. There's no way this is going to work. Yeah, they're not going to. Uh, well, let's see. We should say that nothing, you know, only Sith steal in absolutes, but the likelihood they succeed seems very, very low compared to Microsoft and Sony. And maybe, well, Steam, I guess, is different. You don't really know. Really, Microsoft and Sony. It would just help if they, like, explained maybe what the ambition is. Because they're like, all right, we've got a bunch of mobile games. We're going to develop more mobile games. And we kind of like what we saw. Okay. Like, what the hell is the strategy? Like, is it just yeah. going to stay on mobile? And there's there's no in-game ads. There's no in-game transactions. So it's literally just a part of your subscription. Like, let's say you get a little bit of engagement from kids. Is that going to tell you, like, oh, they won't unsubscribe? Exactly. Who's actually paying for those adults? So the only way to make something accretive is if you get the games that adults want to play, which take giant budgets to make, and you're competing with... Again, we've gone over this, I think, on previous episodes. You're competing with the Activisions, the EAs, the Take-Twos. Nintendo's different, but there's others I'm forgetting to name. With decades of experience, thousands and thousands of developers and existing brands and uh, consumer like bases, customer bases in the millions for different parts of their franchises with the live services offerings that will make have a network effects. It's hard to understand how they're going to win in a way that generates value. So if they're investing all this money, I don't know where the ROI comes from. It just, and I've heard the term churn reduction before, but come on. The kids, if it, it, no one under the age of 21 is paying for Netflix. You yeah, have, yeah. But, right? You know? Yeah. Apparently, they also, at TechCrunch Disrupt, the Netflix vice president of gaming said they are exploring, they're seriously exploring a cloud gaming offering. They said, he also said, it's a value add. We're not asking you to subscribe as a console replacement. It's a completely different business model. The hope is over time that it just becomes this very natural way to play games wherever you are. Well, here's what happens there is the value of the content in games is even higher. Sorry, the value of the content, which is the games on the distributor, is much higher in games than it is in television. So, the value should accrue to the publishers as it has historically. So unless you're creating the games that people want to play, right? Yeah. I'm, like, are they going to be the publishers? I don't think so. Well, they'd have to acquire. I, I think maybe if they acquire, things get interesting. If it's, if, if they're talking AAA games, they're going to have to acquire. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. If they, if they acquire someone, things get real, real interesting. Real interesting. Anyway, yeah, other than that, I thought the Netflix corridor was kind of a meh, not that great, not that entertaining, honestly. 
This episode is brought to you by ourselves. If you're hearing this now, we know you're a Chit Chat Money listener, but if you want to get more than just our free episodes, you can become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber. Within the subscription, members get access to our weekly not-so-deep dive episodes, our monthly episodes detailing one of the holdings in our investment fund, Arch Capital, and then they also get written work, so newsletters and research files to go along with each not-so-deep dive episode. Am I missing anything? We should talk about the themes that we do each month. So each month we choose a theme based on whatever we want. So last month we did video games. This month we're doing housing. Next month we're doing engineering software, I believe. And then the following month we're doing website and e-commerce software. We choose those because it's you know a great way to investigate a different industry. And if you want to subscribe to CCM Plus, go directly through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or through the link that will be in each one of our show notes. It is only $5 a month. You heard that right. $5 a month. Perfect to try out. If you like what we have to offer, we hope you'll subscribe. Tesla quarter. Pretty good. good. It looked like. Yeah. I mean, expectations on that stock are it's probably the only one that's insanely high still. So not surprising to see it down, I guess. But they came, you know, I'm a doubter on them. We're both doubters on the company. They generating cash. Um, well, hold on. Don't <laughs> you're a doubter. You're a doubter on the company. What do I doubt on the company? Come on. We discuss this all the time, Ryan. Don't pretend. Don't like, drag me. Don't drag me under the bus with you. I am. You're. Oh, come on. Come I on. think I no no. no. The, the only thing I doubt is that they're going that any auto provider is going to have a sizable chunk of the market share. Oh, an, I an don't iPhone, think people, yeah. I don't think it's going to get to the point where everyone's driving a Tesla. I think consumers like having something different, which it's, it's been the case for like forever. I don't think that changes, which I imagine ends up being a headwind to Tesla. Now. Yeah. I don't buy any of the other stuff like, it, that it's a yeah, solar business or that it's you're a doubt. Yeah, you're a doubter. Don't hide. Don't hide. That doesn't make me a doubter of the business. I think they'll sell more cars over time. It's just, and I think they can generate cash. I just don't think they'll, I don't know if I'm buying at this valuation. Oh, I think they wow. could sustain That's... their current cash flow for, for many quarters to go. Now, do I think the buyback was useful? No. Well, that's going to be value destructive. I mean, that's almost certain, but. But let's the, play. Okay. Let's play it out the other way. So what did they do? Three point something billion in cash this quarter last 12 months has been what? Like it's like 10, say 10. Yeah. Let's say they're doing 10 billion a year. Is it so bad that they buy back? Like, I think they could probably do 10 billion a year for the next five years. Is it so bad that they buy back? Well, at a current, uh, at the current price that offsets about what quarter of dilution. Yeah. It's not that meaningful, but. What else are they going to do with it? If they invest into expanding fulfillment or production capabilities, that's potential. Well, so far, they've done really good with that, it seems like so far, but that's potentially more value destructive if this, like, if it ends up being too much excess production capacity. Because, well, if you're saying that there's too much excess production capacity at these levels, then you're saying the stock is 10 times overvalued. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if they invested, that's not what I'm saying. Stop. Hold on. I'm saying if they use the money 
that they generated to add production capacity. And comp- and competition came in where it, that ended up being excess. It would have been better for them to return that to shareholders in the form of repurchases. Well, what I would argue is that if the mistake, if if the money is not useful to go into production, then the stock is pricing in way, way, way too much growth. And therefore, the buybacks are also value destructive as well. I'm so sure there's some room internationally for production capacity for more production capacity, but it seems like they have the ability to do both. If they buy back 5 billion, add 5 billion in production capacity. The other, the thing that I don't like about the buyback is like the whole thesis for a lot of the retail investors that are buying Tesla is that it's, it's not this like standard capitalist company that's just out there for the shareholders it wants you know it's it's for the environment like he's trying to save he's using all that excess cash that he generates to to save the world and and go to mars like and i know that's 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 maybe degrading some of the bull theses because i know there's like good arguments on the bull side but a lot of people think that way that are like on the retail side wouldn't this kind of piss them off yeah, I saw some con. Well, some funny comments. Some people are like, "I've never been in a company that buys back." This is strange. I was like, "Hmm, hmm, maybe, maybe." What, uh, like what well, is, what's a buyback? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, been there before. Kind of, you know, shows the the novice attitude. Uh, look, uh, yeah, the buybacks at what seven hundred billion dollar market cap for a company that. Is going to in a cyclical business, you know, it, it's probably not smart. I think it'd be way, way smarter yeah. to it. Come on. I mean, come on, it's going to offset dilution for like a year at best. And what would you have? We need that cash for rainy day. I mean, the things look, things can get, yes, yes. Things can get south fast. How much do you sit on? Business. What? How much would you sit on? Well, look, a good amount. Look, what's a good amount? We've seen a good amount. I mean, a good amount is, is a lot because all, what every auto business in history, except for Ford and Tesla, have gone out of business. I wouldn't use that as a positive. I would say that as a warning sign that the business is tough. And if things go south for a few years in the economy or whatever, the, the car market, you want the funds there for a rainy day. It's not, you come on, it's not useful to buy back stocks at these prices. I mean, that's value destruct, destroying. And like, I guess if you could get, let's say, what's the, what can you buy bonds at? Three or 4%. If you can get three, three or four percent interest that's probably more valuable than buying back at a half percent yeah. <laughs> cash flow yield <laughs> yes uh go on yeah but literally sitting in cash yeah i mean cash is not uh, cash is treasuries but yeah okay there's a difference I mean, you know, no well i mean what i cat on a balance sheet cash is should if it's cash sitting for a rainy day it should be treasuries but Yeah, it's it feels strange. It feels them, uh, 
buying back. But all right, I, I wanted to play this game with you. So Quarter, who we, we've used before, used to be an old sponsor. They had, first of all, I love their, like, they always have funny tweets. Um, Good memes. Great memes. They had an earnings call bingo card. Did you look at this? Uh, I think I saw it, but I didn't look at it. Uh, the, Is it on their basically, Twitter? Basically, it's up? got, yeah, it's got a bunch of quotes from what analysts always say on a conference call. What do you think is the most annoying that you hear frequently? Okay, let me find it up. Where's the the bingo? Uh, there's a recent tweet, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. That was, got yeah. it. I got it. Which of those is the most annoying to you? All right. I'm going to have to have a pause here. Maybe you can screen share for anyone, for any of the YouTubers. Uh, no, it's on, it's on a different, on the, oh, the side yeah. computer. Maybe if we, uh, we'll figure that out someday. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I think I'm going to do the top three here. This is a two-part question. That's the, the first one. That's my least favorite because then they ask six questions and then the CEO only answers the one they want which it's always a mistake to ask the two-parter because then they can answer the question that they want to answer. And then maybe that most important one they'll evade because it's the tougher question. And then they go, what was that second question? Or, and we'll have uh, our CFO take that second part. Yeah. We'll take that offline. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, I like the quote for my modeling purposes, which is just not helpful. Thanks. Intern analyst at BOFA. I mean, look, <laughs> that's the most, those are the, yeah, yeah, like, I don't know how to stress, I don't know how to stress to these analysts that no one gives a crap about their models. I know these conference calls, like, you know, they're out in the public, right? Like <laughs> I, most people are reading through these things. No one wants to hear about your, your model. I know it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, I like also if you could just double click on and it's always something that they've already talked about and they're not going to share anything else. So it's like when they talked about gross margins or something and they go, if we could just double click on gross margins and you're like, all right, they're going to say the same spiel they just gave. Ask something else. If you could convert these to what the analyst truly means when they say it, just double click. When someone says, if you could just double click on something, it's basically like, hey, I didn't like your last answer. So could you maybe restate it in a way that I like more? Yeah. Restate it so it can be more bullish. Or what are some of the other ones? Oh, this, this is one I responded with, but I see it all the time. Could you just walk us through the puts and takes Mm. on how you got to that number? And it's like translation, how on earth, how the hell did you get to that number? Yeah. Because my model says something else. I need to, yeah, my Excel model says something. Yeah, it's it's a weird industry. Almost all this brain power going into how do we get this number work on this Excel model. And it's all, is there, I mean, it's it's, it's very useless, extreme, you know? Is there any use to it? I I, I, I fail to find any any positives of, of who is benefiting here, except for the analysts. All right, what are, you tell me, or how about this? The uh, we saw that the Ally CFO resigned. 
a day before earnings. Is that a giant red flag to you? I know we've talked about Ally before on the show. We've talked about Ally with friends, and it's something we're interested in. So keep that in mind. Any anyone that's listening. Yeah, just a general, but I mean, this happens quite a bit. Executives leaving. It was concerning when I saw that it was the day before earnings because I was confused and why they just didn't announce it with earnings. However, they have a morning call. So I figured, I, I guess when I went back and read and I was like, okay, maybe they just wanted to get out the day before so people could process it. And then they talk about it on the call. Um, when I read the call transcript, I saw that the CFO was there and she had a nice little speech thanking the company and stuff. And it seemed fairly sincere, although I'd have to listen to it. Um, and they weren't like, they talked about basically her job a lot and how it was just a weird timing and how she, they, they wanted her to uh, leave now because, and it could have been a disingenuous excuse, but I kind of read it as she was leaving and they wanted to do it in case before the economy turned down, if it does, because then she wouldn't be able to leave. Um, and they wanted to set up that transition earlier. It's didn't seem bad to me. However, in general, like if we're taking this as a, uh, less ally specific, I think you really got to look at those on a case by case basis, but executive turnover is never good. Yeah, so like I think everyone gonna be loves to, everyone loves to like, I, and I it's for the not for me thing, or like executive turnover is bad. But in this case, like she, she, this was planned out, she had somewhere to go, that kind of thing. And it's everyone yeah. kind of like makes excuses for it. I, I'm kind of grown to have this maybe be my biggest red flag. Mm, yeah yeah i can get with that i kind of think you might even want to own a business where an executive leaving doesn't matter i don't know if those businesses really exist i think they do i'd rather i'd rather own a business where the capital allocator is really damn good well of course but sometimes it can be best. I mean, do I need to say the Buffett quote? Ham sandwich? Yeah, the, I, I, I still disagree with that ham sandwich thing. Like all these businesses require, like pretty much every business, unless it's some super diverse conglomerate that grows on its own, where the holding company doesn't affect the operations. Like, the capital allocator matters. Yeah. Okay. What about Berkshire? Would you, would you be any more or less inclined to own Berkshire if Buffett weren't there anymore? Uh, yeah. I mean, of course, but that's not a business that can be, that's not a ham sandwich business. That's the opposite of a ham sandwich business. You think? Yes. Pretty much all those, Businesses the are going to do the exact the same thing today. The insurance part is, yeah, that's not buff. That's not the buff dog. Well, well I guess yeah. that, I guess the allocating the flow, but you don't think what's his name can do it? Greg, Abel. Yeah. Well, 
I guess that's Ajit. It would be more separate. And it's Berkshire's unique case because they set it up where it's going to be like everything's okay. kind of all those different parts are separate. But in general, back to like the executive turnover in general. Yeah, it's not good. But what's also nice coming back to like a business that's easy to run is that it's really easy to be a good capital allocator in a business that's easy to run. If you generate cash every year and it's no matter what the economy is doing and you just buy back stock, like just straight line, I'm walking through, buy back a little bit of stock every quarter, things work out. And I think I'd rather have someone who does it opportunistically. Mm, and has a a good track record of doing so yes of course but those are few and far between well you don't you don't have to buy every business i guess what is a name of business that's truly a ham sandwich business hershey coca-cola i think the returns for coke shareholders would disagree with you what one of the best performing stocks ever? I'm talking about lately, hasn't it been? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the last 20 years, the earnings ratio got up to an absurd amount in the 90s. But Has, hasn't it also been like a management crisis? Like, like the management's been extremely important over the last 15 years. Uh, not exactly sure. But even if that was the case, they've also had some mismanagement in the 70s and 80s, and Look at the all-time stock performance since 1970. However far Coifin goes back, stock's up 35,000% before dividends. So, and it's been mismanaged. There's got, I mean, at some point in there, that was great management also. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't matter. How about a business that isn't retail or CPG? Let's that isn't say CPG. CPG. Mm. And Hershey. EA, EA Sports. EA Sports, specifically EA Sports. I think that requires good management. <sighs> really? I mean, Matt, Madden pumps money and it's really not a good game. Well, that's not true, but it's by far the best. It would be the best sports simulation game. Like, Best NFL sports or football-based sports simulation game. The I think that requires good management. Look what happened at all these publishers that maybe don't have the best management. Where's you know you got to inspire your development talent in some way. Yeah, it was, but specifically EA Sports, I think it'd be very hard to lose. Um, other businesses. Visa MasterCard, possible from this point. I mean, back 30, 20, 30 years ago, probably different. But at this point, yeah. Um, trying to think. Other companies but out there. Would you rather own businesses where... Are you, are you willing to invest in businesses where you literally just invest in the concept? What do you mean the concept? So let's say you like actually put like the CEO was a ham and cheese sandwich of Visa. Would you still invest in Visa? At the right price, sure. 
I mean, it's a, at the right price, it's impossible to lose money on Visa. In my my opinion, maybe people disagree. If you look at a, uh, let's look at an example we brought just, up earlier. I, I'm reluctant match. to invest in something that's solely based on the concept. Oh well, like I if there's agree, a bad like, manager, but I love the concept, I won't invest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's part of our management. Or sorry, that's one of our three criterias for investing: is do we trust management? So, but I'd much rather be in a position where like it's combination with a good business. So if there's executive turnover, it's not as concerning where you're writing on, like, I don't like the jockey bet entirely. So for example, we thought, okay, we looked at Swedish match. We owned it in the past. We thought management was good. Um, for whatever reason, their buyback record, uh, the, the launch of Zinn, the nicotine pouches and the spinoff of the cigarette business 20 years ago. However, with the underbid they got and accepted, we kind of revised our thesis and we thought uh, it was bad. But the business was like the business is still doing great, even though the business, even though the managers are doing bad. So what I kind of mean by that is. And yeah, maybe the manager not being as good as we thought we got uh, a little less money or underbid on the, the, the Swedish match takeout, but it, it still did phenomenal for shareholders over the years. What? Okay. Yeah. But let's, let's take another one of our holdings match group. That's a concept that I would think anyone can run that. Like that's a ham. That's a theoretical ham and cheese sandwich business, right? It's online dating. It'll grow on its own network effect kind of sells the service itself. Bad management was detrimental to at least recent returns because it was bad capital allocation. Yeah. The yeah, I mean, you can't argue with what the stock is right now, but or the or the hyperconnect acquisition. I mean, I think you have to have a good manager. For, like for me to invest, it has to be a manager. I believe in, or else. Because it could be the greatest concept in the world, but if they just throw the cash away, it just. Yeah, but here's the thing is it's, I think, very difficult to evaluate a manager because we made mistakes. Everyone's made mistakes on that. I mean, two examples, Swedish match, match group of overrating the manager. But the thing is the same thing that comes back to, and yeah, look, the match group stock price can't really defend that. Uh, the performance of the company through 2021 with the quote-unquote bad managers was the best out of any company? Maybe. 22% compound growth with 35% plus margins every year. So I kind of come back to where the, the business is more important. That's what I mean. For what? For them to go out and spend $2 billion on a dying business in South Korea? Like all that good performance for that? That's very yeah. like No, that's fair. But I mean, look, the stock... Uh, it's impossible. It's like an impossible stock question. Price, I just think the business is more important because you don't... It's a lot more 
durable and predictable in the right circumstances compared to the management team when you never know when that jockey's going to leave next quarter. Usually ownership helps kind of alleviate those concerns. Mm, potentially, yeah. You mean like uh, stock ownership? Yeah, ownership of the business. Um, uh, I, right, listened let's do an, a- I listened to an uh, interview on Motley Fool Money with Doomberg. And it, it's really hard to think the world's not ending. Oh, well, his name when is... When we listen to their, something. Their name is Doomberg, so yeah. What do you think their what do you think their stance is gonna be? No, they make good points over there. Yeah, I mean much smarter than us, especially when it comes to energy. Um but yeah, just copy their takes, really. If any if and all my energy takes just copy from them. I mean that's not a bad way to go. Um all right. Anything else? Well, let's hit up, let's do let's do a little mid-roll seven investing organic ad. Remember, code money. Get $100 off your annual subscription for life. I saw this week that, um, and we're not going to s- spoil the pick because that's for subscribers only, that Simon uh, wrote up a nice little article about why he chose his top stock for October and shared the video that they did. And this kind of highlights uh, the presentations they do alongside with their written up stuff. So if you're really interested in the business, it's going to be helpful. You go through the 30-minute presentation, maybe even longer. They have charts to go along with it. Um, the, the analyst pitches the stock and then they get feedback from all the other team members it can be very helpful to hear kind of maybe some feedback some criticism on what the thesis would be um and yeah i guess we'll tease it uh this is it was a risky pick from him a little biotech style i think although it's hard for me to get a grasp on that industry uh but yeah ryan anything else on that well sometimes sometimes i like reading or listening to those calls where they actually pitch it because when I read through some of these in my head, I have things where I'm like, like I'd ask questions here or like I'd respond here. And so sometimes the analyst that, that format gives them the chance to kind of do that. Yeah. So the other analysts will ask nice. the question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Code money. Uh, get a hundred dollars off. Let's move to another topic. Uh, or no, you had, you had, you wanted to tease something. No. Did I? Maybe. You I don't said think tease, so. tease something. Um, all right. Here's another topic. I think it can, it can go into actually something interesting, uh, even though the first part is a little bit funny. So Pollen, uh, a company that was, if I look at their website, says vacations and destination experiences designed for you. And it's got a bunch of concerts around it. Um, what is Pollen? Let's go through it. Pollen builds, curates, and delivers experiences that pair world-class entertainment with exciting destinations. Okay, right? So they're going to do that. They were a startup. They raised $200 million. And currently, they're looking to be sold for $250,000 for the recovery of all their assets. Now, apparently, this won't even cover the software vendors that they have to pay, which here's the summation. It's in... It's in UK, but I'll just say it's dollars. $515,000 to Monday.com, $135,000 to Twilio, $105,000 to AWS, $50,000 to Datadog, $50,000 to Zoom, and the list goes on and on and on. 
while this is kind of funny to see a startup that just totally failed and really wasn't that large spending this much on workplace management software, do you get concerned that the growth in the software industry, especially SaaS, might have been, well, they weren't even money. These companies weren't earning money, but over earning from a revenue perspective the last few years with the VC boom. Yeah. I've always kind of juggled that in my mind. Like if, if things got bad for companies, would, is, is this like a necessity or is it nice to have? with a lot of these software companies. And I would say in almost like maybe 80% of cases, I say, oh, this would be nice to have, but it wouldn't be that hard to go back to a cheaper solution. Everything except AWS and Zoom. Yeah, the thing is Zoom saves money. For, for the a, business? Yeah. Yeah. It's cheap enough, yeah. Same with AWS? AWS saves money. I think from what I understand of Salesforce, it sounds like you can't really live without it. Some of these sales organizations. <laughs> Salesforce has always been a mystery to me. Yeah, it's it does everything apparently. Um, I think certain businesses you can't live without Adobe. Certain businesses you can't live without Autodesk. Like the creation software where, you're, where you depend on it, at, like for your job. Excel, Microsoft Excel. Yeah, those are good. But when I think about the like Slack, uh, Asana, Monday, Monday.com, uh, think about this. They're number Monday. one, value, 515,000 to Monday.com. That's it. Yeah, whoever, that, about- <laughs> whoever that Monday.com sales rep is, give them a raise. And they are, I mean, they're growing like a weed. There's, there's a ton of these though, where it's like they don't. Oh, here's the you don't you don't need it to survive, but it just kind of it it makes your business run a little smoother. Here's the ultimate Grammarly Premium. Yeah, people don't need that. Yeah, that I and if you and if they do need it, (laughs) they you shouldn't employ them. Yeah, because the free stuff's the editing. You know, that's that's really what you need. Um, What's the what is what do you get with premium? Uh, suggestions on style. Ugh. I know it makes everyone sound the same, which is on a, I think is actually bad. So, uh, but, but off, off Grammarly more in general, it makes me nervous and it kind of, I think it can help frame maybe a better or a healthier mindset when investing in a software business is this has to provide, uh, a, what's the term I'm stealing it from that other fund that talks about this constantly a win-win-win scenario where when you add in this software, it benefits both the customer and the uh, company that's using it. Non-zero sum. And the, empo- and the employee that uses Yeah, non-zero sum. I think that's really important to focus on as a software investor because one, it can lead to pricing power, but also leads to lower churn in down markets. Um, and yeah, you can invest in something like, I mean, uh, the other, the question though is, what companies are on that fence? Like some companies seem close to the fence. What ones are those non-zero-sum ones for sure? Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to determine what companies are non-zero-sum. Like it feels like every business is kind of NZS in theory. They're supposed to be in practice. Theory. Yeah. Like, okay, let's take 
let, let's take uh calendly which mm. i think is like a like that software business it theoretically kind of helps its customers the business wins right more efficient but, with your calendar yeah but that's that's great but like it you don't need to spend money on it. Yeah. I guess it's the combination of can, does my business collapse if I lose a software program? It's or honestly, it's, nice the David, it's that David Gardner test. Like mm, yeah. if you snapped your fingers and it disappeared tomorrow, what would happen? I'll tell you yep. what, if Calendly disappeared tomorrow, I would just find a new way to schedule meetings. <laughs> and to be fair, anyone listening, we do not use them. Uh, we use Gmail. <laughs> Uh, but, and I'm sometimes a little, sometimes I, and I've heard this is like a real thing. Like when someone's like, check my Calendly, like, can you just tell me when you're free? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. You're too busy to tell me when, what time works for you. I know (laughs) I could see, uh, that's like a Russell Wilson from football, you know? Yeah. Oh, you want to talk with me? Use my Calendly. Um, all right. Anything else on that topic? We kind of hit some really fun ones without having to go through all the Twitter likes this week, which is good, I think. Got some fun debate. Um, I hope someone was dunking on Dave Ramsey. That's okay. It happens to the best of us. He tweeted in June 14th, 2022, so this year, home prices are not, N-O-T, all caps, going to go down. My guy may have yeah, made a mistake there. Bad the, call. Uh, happens to the best of us. I saw something that I found kind of interesting. I want to maybe I'll kind of pose this as a question to you, but the, uh, there's some quote from a professional fund manager who outperformed in bad times. Mm-hmm. And he said like the greatest achievement of my career and the greatest I've ever felt in my career was generating great returns for investors when everyone else around them was losing money. Do you think it's better as a manager to position yourself for that? Or is it better to just ride the the, the cycles? Oh. It's a harder game to play. I honestly don't know if I like if you if you told me what was going to happen from in 2021, 2022, and you told me back in like 2019, 2020, I don't know if I would have known exactly how to position myself to benefit from that. Yeah, I thought, I think we would have, I mean, we probably would, you know, some of the obvious valuation uh, stretches that we made as a mistake, we would have probably avoided, but I would have said by a lot of the stocks that we uh, already did. There's Um, not a lot of pockets of the market that really did that well. Yeah, I think coming back to that, though, from a marketing perspective, it'd be really nice if you outperform during a down market. And it also, I I, for, I heard this one time and it kind of stuck with me and thought, okay, yeah, that's really important. The Someone gave you the advice as you're going to need to raise money. You're going to have to have the ability to raise money and still do well after you've had good performance because the only time you can raise more money is when, generally, is when you've had good performance. So... You kind of have to set yourself up, which that philosophy of, okay, we're just going to let our winners ride indefinitely. You could see how a lot of people made that mistake in 20, uh, late 2020, early 2021, 
when they raised a ton of money because their success was so strong, but they were unable to pivot. Um, I'm not saying that like we probably would have made the same mistake. Uh, so yeah, I think I don't know. Do you agree and disagree with that? Well, yeah, I imagine it makes raising money easy, a hell of a lot easier, and pretty easy in general because no one's. It's like when times are good, a lot of people are raising money. When times are bad, not a lot of people are raising money to begin with, but everyone's doing poorly also. So you're you're one of the few that's able to really raise that money. It, it, I think it's that's and right. everyone's like looking for returns that are just positive in like these time periods. So if you really outperformed and I've always thought of like, man, it would feel really damn good to outperform when the markets do poorly. I don't think I appreciated that enough when I started. I yeah, thought like, well, well, I'll just ride the good times, you know, invest for 40 years. You'll be fine no matter what after. But I think it would just, maybe it would just be the emotional satisfaction. Yeah. the mo- I mean, you could see how the emotional satisfaction would be high. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, we're kind of, we're going through the March, 2020 doesn't count. We're going to throw a real first bear market right now. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, we were, what, 14 when we were in 2008, something like that, 12? No, it's not younger. Yeah, yeah, younger than that. Really young, 2008. So this is our real first bear market, um, which is good. Get out of the way. Um, I think it's better. We were talking with someone. He's a new interview. We got a really great interview uh, next week as well. Uh, someone who has decades of experience in the industry, which is really great that we got to land that interview. But besides that, we were discussing how if someone started out in 2011, 2010, it's going to be difficult to change your mindset because there was that one, one thing worked for so long. And for us as someone, we started in like kind of the 2017, basically right before COVID is when we really started getting into investing probably the 2019 period is when we started heavily getting into it. We haven't, we don't have that luckily tied to, uh, you know, what quote unquote worked since uh, the GFC ended and it can be tough. I mean, I don't blame anyone. It's just going to be, it's just tough with that mindset. And I think what's really important is to just study financial history in general, because then it can help you like, Oh, this stuff happened before. Yeah. I mean, let's say you were like, a predom- predominantly a software investor in 2020. You look back and you say, okay, 12 years, 11 years of like tides going your way. Price doesn't matter too. I would start to think, and I probably would have started to think this even earlier. This is not a cycle. This is a secular trend. And I was early and I'm going to keep writing it. And price doesn't matter. Yeah. We do have a question here from Matt H, who I think is probably our most our most loyal viewer on YouTube. He says, "Do you feel you missed on energy?" Well, yes. um, We definitely did because that's we avoid we avoid that market. Yeah, but uh, or and especially in 2020, yeah, or you just have no interest in that sector generally for structural reasons. It's not. I have interest in it. It's more. Do I feel enough competency? to analyze the companies properly and do I and assess the risks. I think for most of the businesses, if I looked at them in 2020, I would not have been able to do that. I would not have been able to forecast oil prices 
like maybe I, I don't even know if I would be able to forecast it directionally. I probably wouldn't have. And I definitely magnitude, like in terms of actual price change, I would definitely not be able to guess it. And like no one knew what was coming with the with the war. Yeah. Which is a huge part of that. So yes, I missed it. I wouldn't say I have like remorse over it. No, yeah. I, I mean that's just a sector why the returns have been great the last year, but I don't I don't understand unless you have very good experience investing in cyclicals or have I guess that's really it. If you have a lot of experience investing in cyclicals, which I it's a, a bit of a catch twenty two because you have to invest in them to have experience. Don't well, I'm not beating myself up over that. What I am beating myself up for is valuation that on uh, some of the investments that we made, avoiding missing energy and underperforming slightly because of that is not a big deal to me because that is such a such a hard industry. What do you think was your biggest mistake? Or our biggest mistake. Oh, simply that. Simply starting the fund. Simply or simply valuation. Sim- that's it. We've been pretty decent on what the businesses are going to do because we like to focus on the ones that are uh, simple, durable, and we have to identify a competitive advantage and have confidence confidence in it. We've been you know, obviously we missed on a few, uh, but our batting average, I think, is good. Within that regard, however, the only the reason about uh, any sort of down stuff has just been valuation, not having valuation discipline. Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah, I think the price discipline was. I mean, it was the biggest, but I also think I may have overestimated the quality, like how many businesses are truly high quality through ups and downs, like durable is, are they going to see growth no matter the market environment? And it's going to be like, and they can consistently generate good returns on what they invest. I overestimated the amount of companies that could really do that in bad times. So, Mm, yeah, I guess that comes back to a lot of it came down to easy money. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It comes back to the post GFC macro environment. Um, A lot of, this will be a big test for if a company truly has that competitive edge. And yeah, maybe over the next couple of years, maybe next year or two, more companies will get weeded out of portfolios because of it. Um, but yeah, I think the most important yeah, is valuation. Just looking at, I would much rather own something at 10 times earnings that I think is a good business, but not uh, a Costco. I guess is, is, is a gold standard of a you know great business. Then a Costco, even though we didn't invest in a Costco, we invested in a Costco like companies a few times at forty times earnings. And I would just, yeah, that's in my mind a lot now. Of ha- that, the valuation difference is can be if it's that wide it is very very it can be very influential on returns no matter but you see this all the time on financial media twitter whatever wherever you're reading and interacting with other investors they go oh my gosh this quarter was amazing like 
Wow. Great quarter, great quarter, guys. Great, you know, great quarter. Wow. <laughs> Company, whatever. They list off ten, five things like revenue growth, 30%, blah, blah, blah. This is amazing. You see that someone say that on CNBC and you're like, oh, I mean, and you're like, why would you invest in this company that's barely growing? It's like, well, the valuation and matters a lot. And I think, yeah, we've, look, maybe it's a bit of resulting because we've seen a big downturn in kind of quote unquote growth stocks since early 2021. And the stuff that's done well that we've owned is the ones that we were valuation disciplined on, but I still think it matters and it can really help through the down markets if you are valuation if if you're you know if discipline on the earnings multiples you pay because there's a lot more margin of safety if the business does if the business doesn't collapse yeah i think since starting the fund it's been pretty formative in developing like honestly some hard almost some hardline principles on valuation like it doesn't matter if you think earnings are going to like see some rapid increase in the next two years. I still like, if you would have asked me two years ago, am I willing to pay more? If I think like the growth is more sure, like I might've done it. I'm less. Oh, Ryan, I'm, I'm don't don't sell yourself short. Do don't sell yourself short. You would have done it. I would have done the same thing, but we both. Now you, you, if, if something's pitched to me, that's, more than thir- and I'm not talking about like some lumpy period where earnings are messed up, but like let's say more than 30 times normalized earnings. I think I'm generally going to say no, even if it's like crazy high quality. Yeah, or even if something's unprofitable, you know, you're looking at a gross profit multiple or something like that as well. Like, yeah, I'm tired of, I'm tired of buying into like the, like operating leverage stories. Well, maybe that means that it's time to look it up, you know? Maybe. Like, maybe I'm, I, I like to use myself as, I like to use myself as that where I'm like, God, I'm just sick of this type of stuff. And I'm like, well, probably everyone else is. So, but that's tough. Think, it's, hard, it's hard to balance. I think those. most people have, I, I think that's where like, okay, everyone references Amazon. And this is where I think Amazon's rise well, it's lost has people hurt, money. Has hurt more people yeah. than it's helped yeah. because people hide behind, like, they never saw that. They never saw the margins. And then, you know, it constantly compounded. But I think so many companies, those margins are going to stay theoretical forever. Like, just show, you don't have to bet on that. Bet on, bet on the ones that already have it. Yeah. Or if you're going to bet on that, you need, I think the big difference and we're not afraid to invest in those that have the theoretical earnings, but we, with a mistaken way is we want, you want an even bigger discount because of the uncertainty. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's one o'clock. Uh, thank you all for listening. And the few that watch on YouTube, remember to use our code money, get a hundred dollars off your seven investing subscription each year for life. This video is out every 12 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern live on YouTube. You can watch the recordings there as well. Um, but we'll have it on every Sunday to listen to the podcast format too. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Chit Chat Money to get any updates on the show. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. 